Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am an attachment coach, and I'm excited to share with you today the four different attachment styles. Now, a lot of people ask me the question, can I heal my attachment style? And the answer is yes, you can change your attachment style. I have working towards earn secure is the name of it. And you can do it. Trust me. If I can do it, anyone can do it (laughs) for real. (laughs) I was very fearful avoidant when I first started my journey and through working with a coach over many years, I have become earned secure. And so today what I'm going to do is just give you an overview of the attachment style. So you can answer the question, what attachment style am I? And you can start to learn the different traits that define your attachment style. And of course, before you even listen, I say it in the episode, but I'm going to say it right now too, is I want you to just give yourself so much space and room and grace and just a lot of space when you listen to this. Because oftentimes what happens when we listen to this, when we learn about our attachment styles, will cling on to what it is. And then what I definitely don't want any of you to do is to just really start to identify with it and then lean into it and use it as an excuse to act out in a certain way based on your attachment style. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is learning more about ourselves so that we can start to become earned secure. And we can just notice the tendencies of our attachment style and the different traits and just start to realize like, oh, interesting. I'm starting to do that thing in this moment where I am overreaching out or I'm overacting in order to get attention from my partner, or I'm pulling away and I feel like I'm being swallowed and I'm not communicating anymore. Obviously, those are different different directions the attachment style can go in. So I want you to just listen with really, really, really open ears. (laughs) My mom used to say that growing up, (laughs) open ears, open your ears and just be really, really, uh, easy on yourself. Um, because this can really help you. It can change your life. I, I, I have done so many amazing things with my new attachment style. I um, got a job in an office with a secure uh, workforce. It was amazing. Oh my God, what a difference. In in my previous career working for nonprofits, I had often worked for some insecure attachment or insecurely attached bosses, which isn't surprising based on how insecure my attachment style was. So, you know, you kind of find that fit because it's your subconscious comfort zone, which we'll talk about later. And yeah, that was a huge accomplishment. And then being able to be surrounded in my workplace by secure individuals helped me get to secure even quicker. It's a quick way to get to secure. It's not the only way, but it is one way. So, um, I've also just really opened my heart in my current partnership and marriage with my husband. I have tried, you know, I've started to help him with his attachment style. And honestly, it's just, it's just changed my life. I wouldn't be showing up here with you 
talking on a podcast <laughs> if I hadn't started to heal my attachment style. Um, that's like how much confidence it's given me. And yeah, I mean, I recently birthed a baby and like, wow, boy, I, I was asking for my needs left and right throughout the whole process. I mean, even asking for a glass of water in a previous, um, previous lifetime, lifetime and this lifetime, but a couple years ago, that would have been too much to ask for. And now I'm like, Oh, Hey, I need a glass of water and chance you can help me. Oh no. Great. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's been life-changing. All right. I'm really excited to go over these with you. Um, stick around to the end. Thank you. Hello. I'm so excited to review the different attachment styles today. I'm going to talk about how they show up in relationship because uh, I think that that's like the easiest way that we can detect our attachment style. And I just want to kick this off by saying you are in no way responsible for the creation of your attachment style. It is based upon the environment that you grew up in, and you are not responsible for creating it. What happened during your childhood is that your subconscious just created these beliefs and stories and patterns in order to create as much safety as possible in your life. So before you even start to think about what your attachment style is, I want you to just take a deep breath, let yourself off the hook. You are not at all responsible for your attachment style. I hate it when this becomes an additional level of a reason for guilt and shaming ourselves because we as a society do not need one more reason to guilt and shame ourselves, okay? So I just want you to think of this as something that occurred during your childhood. It is a totally normal response. You are in great company with over 50% of the population of the entire world. And while you weren't responsible for the creation of your attachment style, as adults, it is important to take responsibility to heal your attachment style because these outdated programs that are subconscious created are no longer useful. They're actually no longer needed. And oftentimes they, they don't make sense anymore. It is our responsibility to heal our attachment style. That I will stand behind. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start off with the anxious attachment style. So the anxious attachment style really prioritizes close connection above everything else. So they often love to spend time with their partner. They don't love being alone. They would definitely prefer to be spending as much time as possible with their partner. They love texting with their partner throughout the day. If they don't hear from their partner, they can panic a little bit. And, and start to send more and more and more messages because all of a sudden they feel like that closeness is being taken away and that can feel really unsafe to an anxious preoccupied. They don't love boundaries. Boundaries is a way to create separation in the relationship. So um, they have to work extra hard to start to learn to set boundaries. And they're very warm, very friendly, and they're really great. What I, I do want to hit on the strengths here, they're, they're really great at attuning to other people. So understanding other people's needs, connecting with others, creating a community. They're really great at those social connections. And where they struggle, where they can improve, where their challenges are, are in a lot, a lot of codependency shows up here, people-pleasing, and a loss of identity because they have been spending their entire life kind of focusing on other people's needs and other people's lives. So they aren't necessarily focused on themselves. 
they tend to deal with emotions. The biggest emotions that comes up is loneliness. They definitely feel that emotion a lot and anxiety. I mean, it's in the name, anxious, preoccupied. (laughs) Um, They often expect their partner to soothe for them. So what this means is they expect their partner to help them soothe when they are triggered. Oftentimes what they need to do is start to self-soothe so that they're not necessarily looking for that external validation or that external person to be able to do that for them. Like I said earlier, they also definitely need to start a boundary practice. Boundaries are just the way that we can communicate to others how we want to be treated. They're nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> they're, you know, they're not necessarily a charged thing, but as an insecure attachment, they can be quite charged. There can be a lot of stories behind setting boundaries. So uh, anxious preoccupieds really need to work on the getting comfortable with setting boundaries um, and setting them in relationships. Another thing that they expect is that their partner is going to meet all their needs. And that's just uh, actually not ever possible in a relationship. And it's really important for us to meet our own needs. Things that they deal with when they're triggered, especially in relationships, clinginess, um, testing, seeking external validation, constantly trying to get attention or approval from others. They will express panic, anxiety, neediness, and they can become critical of their partner. Okay, so that is anxious, preoccupied. And then dismissive, avoidant. These types tend to be a little colder, a little more distant. They really take their time to warm up in relationships. They may or may not be, most likely not, uh, be in touch with their emotions. Emotions can be quite difficult. And that and that's because during childhood it was not safe to be vulnerable. They typically grew up in a household with a lot of neglect. And so what happened is they learned to attune to their caregivers' needs above their own. They are very practical, very grounded, very high achieving. They tend to want um, they tend to have a high drive for success and achieving um, in their personal and professional lives. They tend to experience higher levels of shame and guilt. When they're in relationship, they can often t- uh, like feel they can often experience feelings of irritation and impatience with their partner. I tend to lean dismissive avoidant, and this is something I feel quite often. My poor partner can totally affirm that. (laughs) Um, And they can also feel often like swallowed by their partner because they're not expressing their own needs because they are trying to avoid conflict as much as possible. And another thing I should say, so dismissive avoidance actually are capable of setting boundaries, but they're usually more in action and they are not necessarily uh, in the moment, coming from like a healthy place. Sometimes they're super reactionary and really big boundary setting rather than like day to day, like, hey, would it be good? It, It would be great if we could not listen to music during work hours, those types of things. Again, they struggle with 
they really want peace and harmony in a relationship. And so they um, really struggle with conflict and anytime there is conflict in the relationship, which, you know, conflict is a totally normal part of a relationship. So if you're leaning dismissive avoidant, you can often see this like uh, manifesting as like anytime there's a fight with your partner, you're going to go to that reactionary place of like, oh, this clearly isn't working. We should break up. That's like kind of your dismissive avoidant side flaring up and saying, this is not peace and harmony. <laughs> this is complicated and uncomfortable. And so I, the, you know, the best way that I figured out how to deal with this is cut and run, which is not necessarily the most secure reaction. Um, what else? They tend to feel very trapped, especially when others violate their boundaries. They have a high need just for autonomy and freedom. And if these two words are, um, like if you think of these two words as a need in your relationship, you likely have a little dismissive avoidant in you. They tend to withdraw in order to process um, when they're triggered and when they're activated, they tend to stonewall. So they'll like completely, completely shut down. And you might have experienced this, especially if you're an anxious, preoccupied, dating, and dismissive avoidant. You will be in touch with them. You know, maybe some conflict arose or something like that. And then all of a sudden they just disappeared for a couple of days. This is that stonewalling behavior. They can um, use like binge, binging TV, some like addictions, substance abuse type things to cope. And we see a lot of passive aggressiveness with this attachment type. I'm just like quietly raising my hand over here for this attachment type. Um, uh, the dismissive avoidant really truly believes that when they're in relationship, each person in the relationship should be able to process their own emotions on their own time separately. And then they can come back together and keep living their lives in their relationship. Um, not necessarily thinking that they should be responsible for processing others' emotions. This can like be a big trigger between an anxious, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant relationship because um, the anxious, preoccupied is expecting the dismissive avoidant to help them process. And the dismissive avoidant is expecting that they each should be processing on their own. So that's an, uh, another little interesting signifier to see like where you lean on the spectrum. And, and I just want to add the strengths of the dismissive avoidant are um, they really, uh, they're great at being independent and showing us why alone time is so incredibly important because it is whether or not you believe that right now, like the being able to be by ourselves is such an important thing to do. So they're really great at um, just being independent and showing us why it's important to have alone time. And then um, their challenges are to be interdependent and start to be vulnerable and open up to other people, as I'm sure that you know. <laughs> yeah, this the dismissive avoidant just really loves to be on their own. They love to have a lot of alone time, and they what they really need to work on is getting in touch with their emotions. Which doing it on your own is really difficult. I recommend doing that in in a coaching setting or with a professional because it can be quite triggering to start to get in touch with your emotions. They also need to work on setting boundaries and work on it in a way of 
setting them from a place of of security, of groundedness, of this is just something that I need and this isn't necessarily this big, huge ask that's going to create conflict or an issue for us. And then they really need to work on interdependence. And so that what that means is opening up, being vulnerable, sharing about their life, understanding um, that their partner is going to have their own needs and that there's going to be some um, conflict that they can work to resolve together because the, they tend to just want to withdraw and be by themselves. So really getting to the point where they're sharing, being comfortable sharing feelings, being comfortable sharing boundaries, sharing needs, that is the healing process for the dismissive avoidant. And then that brings us to the fearful avoidant, which, hey, all that's me. Um, this is supposedly the smallest portion of the population. I actually don't believe that. But if you've heard that, it's also called the disorganized attachment style or anxious avoidant. And <laughs> I love that it has three names. It makes it super complicated. And um, it's already a very complicated attachment style. So <laughs> it's just ironic. So the fearful avoidant actually oscillates between anxious, preoccupied, and dismissive avoidant intermittently. Like there's no there, there's no premeditated plan happening. It just flip-flops between the two. And so they tend to run hot and cold in relationships. And this is because they feel so deeply, like so, so, so deeply. Um, oftentimes the emotions that they go to are anger. So if they're feeling powerless, trapped, helpless in a situation or like they're being taken advantage of, they can often express their reaction through anger, which is just, again, something to think about if that's like how your reaction is when you're in these types of situations. Maybe you think about being on this part of the spectrum a little bit. When you meet them, they're so charming. They um, are so present with people. They are great at just like focusing on others. And the reason for this is because when they were growing up, there was so much trauma that they had to focus on their caregivers in order to stay safe. It was easier to focus on their caregivers' needs above their own in order to stay safe. So that uh, they tend to have a lot of hypervigilance, um, but they're very attuned to other people, which is amazing. And the, while they're attuned to other people when they meet them, they are still slow to warm up. So that's kind of where the dismissive avoidance side shows up, um, just because it, you know they're, they are not relationships weren't necessarily safe to them growing up. So they're pretty slow to start to open up and share in relationship. Relationships to boundaries, very similar to the dismissive avoidant. Um, they tend to not see why they're so important. But as soon as they the, the fearful avoidant has been pushed enough, like push, 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 pushed, then they'll set like a really hard reactionary boundary. And they need to, again, just start to set boundaries in this slow, methodical way, almost like breathing air, like breathing oxygen. Like it is part of what we do. It's just a normal basis. They tend to deal with feeling frustrated when they feel trapped. So they've got some of those dismissive avoidant emotions. And they also deal with a lot of shame and guilt. Um... They have some interesting expectations in relationships. The most important thing to them is actually trust. And trust is the biggest issue that they deal with in relationship. They could oftentimes be hyper aware or super aware of betrayal. 
and hyper-focused on when a pattern changes in their um, partner and trying, you know, building stories and making meaning from that. Independence is important to them. So while they want to feel wanted by their partner, they want to feel trust in their relationship, they also need to be able to like take their space. And they want their partner to be faithful in like every manner possible. So not even just physical, but emotional and in their actions and in their thoughts. Um, They tend to lean towards fight, flight, or freeze. Sorry, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn during um, a triggering moment. And they tend to experience emotional volatility. So that is the fearful avoidant. And some of their strengths are, again, their ability to see things in others. They're hyper aware of patterns. And so when something's like off with a pattern or like maybe not going in the direction that the pattern should be going, they're really great at like spotting that and and pointing it out. They are great (laughs) at being emotionally available to others. And what they need to work on is, um, well, so many things, (laughs) Um, but they need to start to build this incredible amount of self-trust within themselves because that is what they were missing as children. And that's what they have to build first within themselves in order to be able to have that with an external relationship. Um, they also need to self, so they, they need to like pull in other dismissive avoidant and anxious preoccupied tools in order to start to heal. Um, but the biggest one I think is just working on that trust muscle, trusting yourself, trusting yourself to be able to communicate boundaries, communicate needs, and to continue to do that consistently. Consistency here is the biggest and most important thing. Um, They tend to have a high need for growth and learning, so they do pretty well with personal development and um, personal growth stuff, personal growth work. And they also will experience, I just want to make sure that everyone hears this, because as you move forward with healing your attachment style, you might experience this. I've experienced this many times. As you're healing your attachment style and you're just like learning all these things with your personal growth, you'll have these huge like upward um, swings. I'm picturing just like a graph of healing, if you can. Like you'll just have all this progress and you'll get, you'll pick things up super quickly because you'll realize that all these tools are helping you create safety within your own internal world. And then something will happen and you'll just have this incredible backslide. So like you'll have a peak and then a valley. And these valleys are so normal. They're so incredibly normal. They can be really frustrating and really painful. But um, it's totally part of the healing process. So go easy on yourself if if you're experiencing this. This is a totally, totally normal thing. And does not mean that it's going to be like this forever. And it does not mean like you're never going to have growth again. It just means that you took a little, you're backsliding just a tiny little bit. It probably is not as bad as you think it is. And you're going to continue to grow just as you were before. Um, But with high growth, I think often will come like a big backslide just because of the nature of the the peak in the valley. Um, And so you're not alone in that. (laughs) Just, Just letting you know. All right. And that brings us to secure. So um, secure people, which technically represents 50% of the population, tend to be very in touch with their emotions. They'll have a wonderful self-care practice that they're committed to. When they are feeling triggered or when they are having emotions, they know how to process them. 
And they tend to like, it's not that they don't get upset and it's not that they're not triggered. It's not that they live without conflict either. It's just that when those things happen, they know that they have the tools to process whatever is going on. And then in turn, because they're so good at processing their emotions, they can quickly speak their needs, communicate their boundaries in a very healthy way. That's again, just like in that moment, this is what I need. It's not too much to ask for. This is a totally normal thing for me to be asking and um, communicating that to whoever they're in relationship with. They will have triggers and they will have core wounds that come up, but those are typically situation specific. So that means that like maybe they were a bad student in high school or maybe they took like this one class that they really loved and they wanted to do really well and they just didn't do very well. And so then they have this story about themselves that like, oh, I'm not good in school. And it's just based on that one story. So um, they do technically have core wounds and stories, but they're very situation specific. And they um, don't often they don't often like hold on to resentments or um, or anger. They can like quickly let those two things go. So secure people, again, are not without problems. (laughs) I'm sure you know some of them that are just living their lives and dealing with the normal complexities, issues, troubles of life. But they just tend to bounce back a little bit quicker and know the tools already that they need to do that. In relationship, their needs are balance and harmony, peace. And they are very, if there is an issue in a relationship, they're quick to resolve it. Like they will take the initiative to talk out whatever is going on. And I should say that uh, frequently secure people look towards coaching when they're going through a a difficult time in their life. So that could be in uh, going through a breakup or dealing with a loss of someone or divorce, those types of things. That's the time when a secure person just needs a little bit of extra coaching and a little bit of extra help. Because like, hey, oh, we all need we all need help. Am I right? <laughs> um, so those are the four uh, the four attachment types. This is my favorite thing to just learn and study and share with others because it has just been the biggest permission engine for me to realize why I use these strategies, these coping strategies and methods and understand, okay, what is the archetype such as the secure archetype, um, secure attachment style of how I can lean in and um, get better at like setting my needs, or sorry, knowing my needs, communicating my needs, um, sharing and communicating boundaries, all of those things. It's just an incredible system for that. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you learned so much about your attachment styles. I say that plural because we are in a spectrum of the attachment um, styles. And so we embody, we can embody all four of them in different areas. Some, you know, sometimes in friendships, we'll show up a little bit more anxious. Sometimes in the workshop at workplace, maybe we're more avoidant or secure. Um, But yes, I hope that you took this information and that you are thinking about it generously with grace and not taking anything too heavily (laughs) Um, and that you're just being really, really, really gentle on yourself. And I hope too that you're taking these 
qualities and thinking about where you actually exhibit these in your life. And remember, these are just old patterns that we picked up in childhood. It doesn't mean anything about us. It doesn't mean, it doesn't have to mean anything about us or our parents or anything like that. What it can be is a tool just to start to recognize like, oh, hey, I, I might be acting that pattern out a little bit. Maybe it's time to change. Maybe it's time to reprogram your subconscious so that you're not um, acting out of fear or acting out of anger or judgment, but instead you're securely acting from a place that you are rooted, deeply rooted with and attuned to yourself. That is my wish for you. I'm here if you want coaching. I coach anxious women in one-on-one coaching through a 10-week program to heal their anxious attachment, to create secure relationships so that they are free to express themselves authentically. It's my favorite thing. I love to do it. If you're interested, you can check out my website, sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching. And I am starting to host some monthly workshops. These are relationship tune-ups. You can come. It's free. You can learn about your attachment style. We're going to talk about what's going on in in a relationship that you're in right now, whether that's with a friend, a boss, a partner, whatever it may be, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, partner, what you know, whichever way you're, you're leaning, come to the workshop. We're going to talk about what's going on. We're going to get into the belief system behind what's going on. And then we're going to tease it apart so that you have a clear path for your next step in either communicating a need, setting a boundary, sharing a feeling, whatever that may be. We're going to do that in this workshop. It's going to be so fun. The next one is March 14th. um, This is 2003 from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. And if you're interested in signing up, all you got to do is go to sarahcohan.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. And under work with me, you'll find the events section to RSVP. I love you. I am rooting for you. I know that you got this. And congratulate yourself on showing up today and learning about your attachment style. I'm so proud of you. And if this isn't for you, if you're learning because you're in a relationship with um, someone that's got an insecure attachment style, congrats. You know, you're helping us all out, truly. All right. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Would love to hear your thoughts. Um, and if you really liked it and want to share it with a friend who's maybe working on their own attachment style, or you think this would help them send it to them. I love it. You know, word of mouth is the best way to learn about podcasts. So please help me spread the word, spread the good word on attachment styles. And, um, what's the other thing that I always do? Oh yeah. Come follow me on Instagram. Um, I post some funny shit. (laughs) My account is it's me, Sarah Cohan. It's, um, I guarantee some good laughs for you also some attachment related content of course (laughs) all right i will see you back here next week thank you so much 